Orcas and salmon are friends that need help. Our ocean pals are facing some trouble. Less trouble, more bubbles. There's so much we can do. Do you know what I'm thinking? Let's start preaching extinction. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Breaching Extinction podcast. For those of you that are new here, this podcast is focused mostly on cetaceans, meaning whales and dolphins, ocean-related topics, and endangered animals. My name is Erica Worth. I'm your host here. I started this podcast in 2019 after spending a summer up in the San Juan Islands in the habitat of the southern resident killer whales. The first two years of this podcast focused specifically on that group of whales. I interviewed a variety of people from various backgrounds in regards to issues with that specific species. So if you're interested in learning about them, go back to our first two years worth of episodes. We are now here in season four and we are expanding a bit. So now we cover all kinds of topics. If you're interested in being on the podcast or you have a topic or a paper that you would like to have covered send us an email or a message on Instagram, something like that. My email is erica at breachingextinction.com. That's Erica with a C and breaching extinction. I hope you guys enjoy this week's episode and we'll just get to it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. I hope you guys all had a wonderful week. This week, we have a very special guest, fisherman, Whale Watch Captain, Dad, Joey Sagnero. How's it going, Joey? Good, Erica. Good morning, Dia. And uh, thanks for inviting me. Of course. Super excited to have you here. Um, so I work with Joey. He's my captain over at Sanctuary Cruises. Um, so very excited to have you here today. And then I'm, you're one of my favorite people. And then Maddie's going to be on next week. So two of my favorite people back to back. Very exciting. Awesome. So um, tell our listeners who you are. We're going to get into a bit of your life story um, and your history with fishing um, and the changes that you've seen in the Monterey Bay. So tell us first, who who is Joey Stagnero? All right. Well, my name is Joey Stagnero. I am uh, I am a native of Santa Cruz. I was raised into a, a big Italian fishing family. I'm fourth generation. And uh, my family started... Uh, they migrated over here to Santa Cruz, California in late 1879 is when they decided to make Santa Cruz, California their home. And the reason why they came here is that Santa Cruz reminded them a lot of the old country in Italy. <clears throat> and um, my family originated from the little town of Riva Toroso, which is in, uh, I believe, the southern tip of the uh, of Italy there. But anyway, they came here. In, in hopes, like most immigrants back then, to find a better, easier way of life, I guess. And uh, fishing was their thing. So back then in the early, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, it was all about the sardine. Uh, the sardines in the Monterey Bay is what made Monterey Bay pretty much famous, including Monterey. Uh, Cannery Row, you know, that was a big bustle of, of fishermen on that s- south side of the Monterey Bay. And on the north side up here, we had lumber and fish. 
and a bunch of peers at one time in Santa Cruz, there were three peers, three operational, three operating, uh, uh, wharfs peers, two of which were for lumber where, because in the Santa Cruz mountains, redwood is everywhere, redwood trees. Um, the trains would come right down to the end of the wharf and offload the ships at the end of the wharf with lumber. They'd take off the other little pier, which was called the, uh, pleasure pier back then. My family used that wharf for offloading a uh, catch of fish, salmon, sardines, what have you, flatfish, cod, whatever it was. So anyway, that's how they got into it. Um, fast forward a little bit from what I know, because I was, you know, I was, obviously I'm not 200 years old or whatever. Um, I was born in 1973, but I during Prohibition, Prohibition came around in the, you know, late 20s and uh, with the recession and everything and the prohibition and everything, my family decided to start running rum, start running uh, booze illegally, and um, they needed boats to do it. So at the time up there at Treasure Island in San Francisco, they had a bunch of boats that they weren't using that were for sale. <clears throat> and my, my family purchased them to basically run rum. When they first bought those boats, they bought three big 65-foot wood boats, passenger-carrying boats. And they used to run rum from San Francisco to Monterey to Santa Cruz. That's how they ended up in the boating industry, as far as that goes. After Prohibition stopped, um, they still had all these big, giant boats. And they decided to start, you know, putting people on them, charging people. I believe back then, I want to say it was like five cents. Five cents to go fishing for the day. <clears throat> they'd load passengers on the boat. And they'd take them out two miles out in the Monterey Bay and they'd catch cod and salmon. And uh, that's basically how my family started in the sport fishing industry. They had these big boats. They didn't know what to do with them. So they started making money with them. And uh, and that's how sport fishing began here, right here in Santa Cruz. was in the early 19, right around the Prohibition time, 1930s, right after Prohibition ended. And, uh, and they did that and they continued to do that. Um, I'll get into that a little bit later, but, um, I came around, like I said, I was born in 73. I was born to my father. I'm, I'm Joe Jr. My father was Joseph Stagner on the first, I'm the second. And, uh, by the time I was six years old, I, I, I went on my very first trip with my dad fishing trip when I was four. And uh, all I did on that particular day was hide underneath the captain's seat where he was. And I was crying for my mom because I was scared. I was four years old. I was seasick and I was scared. And I remember hanging on to that, hanging on to his seat while he was driving the boat. And I was crying for my mommy because I was so scared. The boat was rocking back and forth. People were hooting and hollering. There was a lot of noise. There were fish flying everywhere. And I was sicker than a dog. And I was scared. Um, that went on for two years. <laughs> Every time I would go on the boat, same thing. I'd hide underneath this chair. I would cry for my mommy and, uh, I was sick. I'd be barfing at the, on the wheelhouse, wheelhouse floor all the time. <laughs> it's kind of funny to think about actually, <laughs> but that's what I did. You know, that was my upbringing. My upbringing was around these, these old men, hardly any women in the fishing industry back then just a bunch of grumpy old men you know too big was too big and too small was too small that type of thing and that's pretty much how I was raised um saw 
saw things that a six-year-old really shouldn't be seeing every day, but I did. Anyway, when I was sick, when I was six, I, um, my dad kicked me out of the wheelhouse, told me I was uh, old enough to learn how to pull up an anchor. And back then we were fishing in waters as deep as 500 feet, 400, 500 feet. And on the old wood boats, they, uh, they didn't have like railings up then. They didn't have Coast Guard inspections. They didn't have, you know, safety, per, you know, safety measures like they do today. So basically, I, I'm a six-year-old kid. I'm not a very big six-year-old either. I'm a very scrawny little kid. And uh, and uh, that day, it was my father and a new captain that just moved into the area. His name was Leon Oliver, who, uh, who ended up, uh, he just passed away a few years ago, but he became one of the legends of uh, the Monterey Bay as a whale watch captain. But anyway, old Leon there, he was from Texas and he was kind of gruff. He was straight out of the Coast Guard. And and uh, there I am up in the bow with the deckhand, uh, JR. Jimmy Ray was his name. And that was my father's deckhand. And I'm up there pulling this anchor. It had, had a hydraulic, you know, it had a hydraulic winch and stuff like that. The deckhand just had to coil the line in the box and make sure when the chain came that the anchor didn't come flying out of the uh, the anchor chalk there and, and killed the people behind you. <laughs> And uh, I learned two valuable lessons that day, two very valuable lessons that day, both from each man, my father and Leon. One was while I was coiling up the line, I, I had a tendency to wrap the line around my arm to pull it, you know, to get more leverage. And that was a no-no because if something were to happen, if it was slipped out of the chalk or it slipped off a hydraulic and it would have been wrapped around my arm, we know what would have happened. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm six. And, uh, and, um, then when the chain came, I would grab the chain with my hands, which you're not supposed to do ever. And I did that. And then I would have my back to the ocean while I, while I was pulling in the chain, my back would be facing off the front of the boat. My back would be to the ocean. So I learned real quick, not to, not to, uh, grab the chain, not to rip, uh, wrap the line around my arm. And definitely never, ever, ever turn my back on the ocean. And uh, thank God for that, you know, Leon and, and my dad, Leon, especially, I, I just met the man, you know, he was trying to get a job. He was learning the boat for my father. And he came out of that wheelhouse, with this big old giant curly hair. And he was yelling at me in a Texas draw. And he said, don't you ever turn your back to that ocean again, you little shit. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. And, uh, and it, and then we're in my career, you know, and after I pulled up anchor, next thing you know, my father's gotten me run around the deck, baiting people's hooks and, uh, filleting fish. I filleted a lot of fish as a young kid, seven, eight years old, countless hours at a fillet table. Um, they put me on a tall bar bar stool because I was too short to see the table. And I'd sit on that bar stool and I'd cut fish from 8 a.m. till 8 p.m. seven days a week in the summertime. Um, <clears throat> I I decided at a very young age when my dad died, my dad died when I was 10 years old, that immediately that I was going to follow in his footsteps and work on the Monterey Bay as a fisherman and uh, as a crew member on 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 the Stagnero boats. At that time, we still had three boats out of 13. 
we had a boat called the Stagner 01, the Stagner 02, and the Catardo Stag name, uh, Stagner owned named after my grandfather. And uh, there I was. Um, I still had a pretty big family, even though my dad was passed. Um, I, I fished every day in the summertime. And during school, it was every day that I had off would be weekends, would be any holiday, um, spring break, you name it. Any day that I had off, I was on a boat fishing and, and working. Uh, I got a little older, you know, got a little older, 16 years old or something like that. Um, all of a sudden, we were trying to figure out ways to make money in the winter in the winter time and the only thing that was really available was whale watching this is in the i want to say it was around about 80 85 86 like that 1980s mid 80s like that and um the gray whale migration we would whale watch from from about right after Christmas, the day after Christmas, and then we'd whale watch up until uh, March, March 1st. So three months out of the year, that's all we'd do is go out there and watch the gray whales come through the bay and then go back up, back north. And that would fill in the void as far as work goes and um, to keep the boats working and stuff like that. Back then, it was rare, extremely rare, very rare to see any other whale or any other wildlife out on the Monterey Bay, um, except the gray whales. That was a guaranteed thing because they were going down to Mexico. They had to pass us. Um, also, back then, where the Monterey Bay was filled and it was full, it was a huge fishing community of Vietnamese longliners, Vietnamese gillnetters. Um, there were several, I want to say about 15 permitted uh drag boats that guys that dragged the big nets on the bottom of the ocean floor and and they were all over the monterey bay i remember times that you know you'd be running out you'd have to change your course by six miles because of all the drag nets and and uh all the guild nets out there and they were everywhere folks i mean i'm not kidding you the monterey but uh submarine canyon out there in the monterey bay um I'm sure most of you know about it or have heard, heard about it. It's big, you know, it's big. And on the ledges out there, it goes from 300 feet to 4,000 feet like that within a matter of four feet. It's just a cliff. Basically, from Santa Cruz Point to Point Pinos Point, the, the gateway of the Monterey Bay, you would have dragnets 600 miles all over the bay, all over, just drifting around out there. And um, they would get rockfish. They would get anything, really. The halibut, the trawlers for the, the flatfish, the halibut, the flounders, the shark. Monterey Bay, as a kid, I remember catching leopard sharks and and soup fin, seven gill. We used to have such a shark fishery here that was unreal. Um, and blue sharks, all the sharks, you know, name them. They were here, and they were here in big numbers. Um, by the time 1990s came around, Rarely did you see sharks. You still weren't seeing the dolphin. You, you, you sea life was just kind of really on its way down in a big way. Being out there seven days a week, you get to see the changes year after year after year. It's it's pretty cool. And uh, I, I, I'm proud that I get to be a part of it and, and, and see what exactly what changes are taking place out in our oceans. Anyway, um, 95... Uh, 
came around a big salmon year the salmon showed up in this bay the technology as far as fishing got better uh, the population of people was increasing in the santa cruz area we you know uh ucsc up there in the hill became a big deal um it went from 5000 students to 25000 in you know a matter of 5 years um the population brought more people, obviously, more people wanted to take advantage of the bay. So they were out there doing their thing, fishing, doing whatever, scuba diving, and uh, really just kind of making a mess of things because nothing was in place. There was trash everywhere. I, it, it was it was horrible, to be honest with you. It was horrible. Again, with all the charter boats coming in, because it was a lucrative thing back then, um, they went from four charter boats to to over 20 at one time. And uh, including Moss Landing and Monterey, of course. But um, that was a big deal. You know, that was a big deal. And and the bay was starting to actually look quite disgusting, to be honest. It uh, There was trash on the ocean. Uh, there were no regulations on bilges, people pumping out crude oil, oil crap, just a mess. And um, come around 1997, they were talking about this Monterey Bay Um Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary, which extends from the Farallon Islands all the way down there off Big Sur, kind of caught everyone's attention because we knew if that were going to be in place that things were going to change as far as the regulations go. I, on on um, myself and um, my brother and a few others, we were, you know, we were hell-bent on the idea that this was going to make the Bay a better place. And uh, so we... We did what we had to do. You know, we were we were compliant with everything. It, pretty much everybody on the bay was switching up which engines they were using, which tactics, you know, keeping their boats cleaner. <clears throat> People on the beaches were being a little more mindful of their garbage. I mean, you name it, it, it was starting to happen. And to see it from the very start to where it is today, it's pretty, pretty badass, really. Um, in the early 2000s, I believe uh, Schwarzenegger was our governor. And he had a brilliant idea to completely stop fishing, completely shut it down. There were talks of it, no salmon, um, close it to sport, close it to commercial, including the ground fish, uh, rock cod and, and, and halibut. No fishing in the bay whatsoever. And uh, but that was only for sport. They were leaving the commercial guys out of it. So the gill netters and the drag netters didn't this wasn't going to apply to them. So as being a the giant, a big, big uh, population of sport fishermen were not okay with this. We weren't okay with some of the data that was brought into uh, was brought into the scientists and the researchers. It was it was false information, believe it or not, and um, it was sad. It was sad, but anyway, it became a big deal. It went up to Sacramento, up Capitol Hill, and stuff like that, and. Uh, we fought hard as, as, as fishermen, very hard to really get rid of those drag nets or not drag nets, the gill netters, the gill netters were pretty much the gate. Like I was saying earlier out there in the ocean from where the weather buoy is all the way into ports, you know, all the way into the, to the shallows of Monterey, Big Sur up there by Año, uh, New Year's Island, 20 miles North here of Santa Cruz. And literally nothing was allowed in the bay. I'm, I'm not, it's hard to explain because if it's, if the change that happened was immensely 
greater than what anybody expected. 2002, they did shut down fishing. They did close down bottom fishing. Not the whole year. They they took six months out of the year. We were only allowed to fish in the bay for six months. But they did get rid of all offshore gill nets and drag boats in 2002. 2002, they got rid of all those, the Vietnamese uh, fishing fleet. They got rid of all the big giant trawlers that the the destruction that those boats were causing was starting to be apparent. So they got kicked out of here. They stopped it completely. Within two years, 2004, uh, Monterey, a gentleman by the name of Richard, uh, I forgot his last name, starts with a T. Richard uh, T uh, out of uh, Sam's, <laughs> Sam's fishing fleet there in Monterey, which is now um, Monterey Bay Whale Watch. Um, he started doing some offshore bird trips. He started really getting into the whole nature aspect of what was out in our bay. Birds became whales. The humpback whales started showing up into our bay. Not a lot at first, but they were still coming into the bay. They were allowed to come into the bay because there was no drift nets out there. And uh, it was pretty cool. I'll never forget the first time I saw a humpback whale breach. You know, I got to see a humpback whale breach. And I got to tell you, folks, that it was a big deal. I, I I instantly thought it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. And at that time, I was what? See, 2000, 2003, I was, you know, 30 years old. I was 30 years old and I got to see my first humpback come flying out of the water while we were on a fishing trip. And I'm, whoa, what was that? You know, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And from that point on, whale watching now became a, a thing, right? He saw one boat going out. Richard was take the point sir clipper out. And uh, Leon, Captain Leon, the guy that yelled at me for turning my back to the ocean, was running the boat out of... Uh, which is now Princess, and back then it was uh, Fred's. I want to say it was Sam's and Fred's. But anyway, it was a boat called the Top Gun. It was a big boat. It was a 90-foot boat, and it could hold 70 people. And they started running daily whale watching trips <clears throat> year-round. And uh, it was the coolest thing ever because by the, by the year 2007, 2008, everybody was doing it, and the whales kept coming in. Bigger numbers, bigger numbers. And, uh, you know, at one point you could see 100, 100, 100 to 150 humpback whales in our bay with blue whales. You know, these are the whales that as a kid you'd read about and go, oh, that'd be cool. You know, I wonder if I'm ever going to see a blue whale, you know. I wonder if I'm ever going to see a humpback lunge feed or, or throw its tail or, you know. And now it's it's everywhere. You know, it is everywhere. I, uh, <clears throat> on a personal note, for me, it kind of went like this. I, uh, I, uh, in 2001, I lost my mom. And after I lost my mom, I was, I was a young guy. I was a young guy without a mom and a dad. And I still had this, this, this last name. And I had these boats and I was trying to keep everything together and, and keep the family name going in the industry. But in the industry that I am in, uh, Addiction is alive and well, uh, whether it be drugs or alcohol. And for me, it was alcohol, and it took me out. It took me out. Um, I uh, 
I was a full-fledged alcoholic by the age of 22. I was I was drinking daily. I was just killing myself. Uh, I was killing myself. And um, in 2010, I uh, I was still in the deeps of the the, the bottle, <laughs> and um, I really was missing out on all the beauty out there in the Monterey Bay. And uh, I I was you know trying hard to kill myself, but at the same time I was trying hard to uh, still trying to keep forward going every day out there on that ocean because it is a beautiful thing. And uh, today it kind of looks like this. I, I, my last drink was August 10th, 2016. Um, so a little over six years that I've been sober. And uh, five years ago, I, I decided to get my captain's license and uh, something that I always wanted to do. And when I got it, I didn't know which way I was going to go. Either I could go to Alaska and still be a fisherman, you know, because up in Alaska, they, you know, there's still a good fishery up there. Or I could have been down in a, a tropical place running dive trips like Hawaii or Mexico or, or even Florida or Key West or something. That even crossed my mind. I, uh, but once I became a captain and, and I was still doing a lot of fishing trips, I was taking young families out and the whole, the whole, the whole fishing thing had changed too, as far as clientele goes. No longer did you see the fist fights on the boat. No longer did you see the the gallons of whiskey getting passed around. The guys smoking big old stinky cigars, smoking, you know, non-filter Pall Malls and a lot of cussing. You didn't see the families and, and you didn't see any of that shit when I was a young kid growing up. Today, you see families and you see grandpa with little Johnny. You see, you know, grandma with little Sally or what have you. You just see big groups of of families to enjoy this ocean to to enjoy you know what we do every day and uh it is pretty cool to see but i gotta tell you folks i i i'm done with the fishing you know i my second year of having my captain's license i remember telling one of my deckhands i i'm just not into this anymore it's just you know i i, I can't believe i'm saying this but killing fish and 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 you know, hearing the people this and that, I go, I'm just over it. I'm just over it. It's kind of like it just happened. And um, so my my favorite thing in life to do was to wake up at five o'clock in the morning and go to work every day. And it became to the point where I wasn't, I was sleeping in. I didn't care about if we caught a fish or two. I didn't care about little Johnny and grandpa. I, I, I was burnt out on the fishing aspect of it. Lots of new heavy regulations and rules, and which are good. I, I think it was well des- well needed. And um, you know, when I, when people hear me say that, because I, I I'll be the first to tell you, I was one of the biggest offenders out on this ocean. I was one of the biggest offenders as far as you know catching over limits and and not giving two shits about laws. And you know, I was just a little hell. You know, I was a little a runt. I was I didn't care. Um, that has changed here in the last three years. I uh, I did decide I went to my brother who owns uh, who owns a company out of here at Santa Cruz, um, who also does fishing trips and whale watching. He's still keeping it going with the, the family name. I didn't want to do the fishing anymore. I asked to be put on more whale trips because, A, I wanted to learn a little bit more, which I did. I, I'm not 
I'm not a very computer computer literate guy. I do like to read from time to time. And with technology nowadays, it's really simple just to pop on any YouTube video or what have you and, uh, and or podcast and, and listen to these researchers and where they're getting their data from and, and, and really kind of getting into the whole mammal thing, right? Now, 10 years ago, we didn't have naturalists on these boats. We didn't have uh, people like Eric, like you, Erica. We didn't have people like um, Nancy Black. We didn't have people like that. We didn't have knowledge about these whales that we were looking at, the humpbacks, the dolphins, the blue whales, right? We didn't, we had no clue. We had no clue. And and now it's like every day when I come to come to work, it's like I learn something new every day. Like the old saying goes, I literally learn something new every day. Anyway, back to running whale watch trips. I uh <clears throat> I really got into it. it. And it's a different vibe when you have 70 whale watchers on your boat compared to 40 fishermen on your boat when 70 people see a, uh, a humpback breach the excitement is uncanny okay it is uncanny to where 40 fishermen a 30 pound salmon comes over the rail sure there's excitement and there's high fiving but it's more expected than when you take whale watchers out and they see a whale fluke or even seeing a blowhole you know I've had days where we take people out and we don't see nothing but sea lions on the, the mile buoy. Right. Right. And uh, they get to see the sea lions in there beside themselves. You know, there's a big difference. And that's why I decided to be a full-time whale watch captain, because a, I do respect the animals and I do respect the beauty of the Monterey Bay. I am a big, big component or big. I, I I'm a cheerleader for the Monterey Bay. Anywhere in the Monterey Bay, you're going to find beauty, you know, anywhere, anywhere, even on a foggy day, you're going to find beauty on that ocean. There are people that live here in Santa Cruz and Monterey and in Watsonville, the whole surrounding area of this area. You talk to anybody, anybody that lives around the Monterey Bay area, the first thing they're going to say is how expensive it is. The reason being is because basically our weather and our weather is controlled by the Monterey Bay. So when I hear people that have lived in Santa Cruz for 40 years and have never been on the ocean, shame on you. Shame on you. You know, you guys don't even know what you're missing. You have no clue. And uh, going to the beach does not count. Get on a boat and go out in the bay. And uh, you will see what I'm talking about. And you will also understand why we're so expensive to live here. But um, a couple of years ago... <clears throat> I really wanted to get deep in the whale watching community. Um, I knew there was one building and I, you know, my, I don't consider myself a, a whale nerd or anything, but I, I, I do, I have learned enough in a little short amount of time with the humpbacks and the blues and the, the edges and the contours of the bottom of the ocean out there, which I already knew a little bit about, you know, certain areas like SoCal Hole which is a, a finger of the canyon and, or the nubbin, which is another little notch there of the canyon and then the corner and then the deep hole. You know, these whales, they're around those areas. And uh, it's kind of cool to do the science behind it as a captain to go, huh, okay, whales are going that way today, but it changes so often. It's, it's exciting. It's exciting. Whale watching is like fishing to me. The, the hunt is on. 
the hunt is on to see one whale is great to see 15 is better to see 30 that's awesome mm-hmm. you know um <clears throat> i started working with erica this year erica and chase at sanctuary cruises it's a job that i've been interested in for the last three years um when i made the decision that i i want to get rid of fishing pretty much completely and uh, i wanted to be a whale watch captain so this year i i I, I broke away from the family business and I went down to work um, for Sanctuary Cruises out of Moss Landing. And they've been there for a long time. They've been there. That boat's been running whale watching out of Moss for 30 years. And the gentleman that owns it, Mr. Mike Sack, he's he's one of a kind, man. He knows his stuff. He knows the whales. He knows the ocean. Avid surfer, diver, snorkeler, body surfer, you, you name it. Uh, my boss does it all in that ocean. He he respects that ocean, which uh, makes me respect him. And uh, I'm very excited to watch the bay change daily now. Unlike what it used to be for me, just showing up and going out there and trying to kill anything that swims, you know. Um, it's different for me. Um, I'm fourth generation fisherman in the Monterey Bay. And um, I feel a little sad that I sometimes I feel like I let my family down, but I just did not want to go the direction that they were pointing me in. Um, This year has been real spectacular for us, um, for the whole Bay. Um, The only problem with this year was the weather. It was, you know, Monterey Bay is like a 10 year. I was told by old timers, by old Victor Gio, um, uh, Steve Carnelia, the old, old timers, that the Monterey Bay is like a giant toilet and it cycles every 10 years. And I'm only 48 and I'm about to be 49, so 50 years. And I can tell you that that is correct. That bay does change and it changes cycle. It cycles. And uh, this year was the year of the wind. We got beat up pretty good. Old Erica and I were definitely getting water on the windows quite a bit cleaning up a lot of vomit but uh <laughs> you know it was one of those years but that wind brought in some pretty cool stuff we got to see a leatherback sea turtle this year we had beaked uh bear was it bear's beaks that we saw we saw bear's beaked whales yes bear, bear's beaked whales we had four of them within four feet of the boat they popped up um of course the orcas are making their appearance now it was weird early in the spring april and may that they weren't really showing up like like usual but september and october have always been good orca months and again this all states back from getting rid of those offshore gill nets you know we all know what damaged gill nets can do nothing can get by them nothing mm-hmm. and and to see a, a, a sea turtle a sea turtle come swimming next to the boat uh three miles out in front of moss is is it's not unheard of but it, it used to be you know, you never used to see anything like that. There are old, old stories of the old man of the sea, sea monsters. My family, um, they got made fun of in a local newspaper here because they claimed that they saw sea monsters. You know, chances are they saw a, a whale breaching or something like that, or, or even a, even a sea turtle. Because when I saw that thing this year, I might, Jesus, I've seen them before, but never that close. This, this sea turtle popped up right next to us. And, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, so I'm I'm excited. 
I wake up every day again, like I did when I was a kid. I wake up every day uh, excited to go see what we're going to go see. And, you know, who's on the boat and stuff like that. Who's going to see what? Are we going to see orcas? Are we going to see blue whales? Are we going to see humpbacks? When are we going to start seeing the grays? What about a sperm whale? That's the beauty of it today. That's the beauty of the Monterey Bay today is because you never know what you're going to get now. 30 years ago, you knew exactly what you were going to get, believe it or not. Even though it's wildlife, you knew what you were going to get 30 years ago. You knew that if you went out there 30 years ago, the only thing you were going to do is maybe see a rock hut or a salmon. You weren't going to see a breaching humpback. You weren't going to see four whales underneath your boat sticking their heads up and wanting to be touched, you know. <laughs> and we get to see that every day now, you know, on any given any given hour of any day, something new will pop up in that bay. And uh, to, to sit here today and to share that experience with some of you, uh, I'm lucky. I'm a blessed guy, right? I shouldn't be here. I really should not be here. And I, and I get to, uh, I get to see what people pay for. And there's, there's, they're just getting the tip of the iceberg in my personal opinion, like with Mbari and, and Monterey, uh, Moss Landing Marine Labs. I don't think that they've even gotten close to the tip of the iceberg of what they're really going to truly find about some of the animals in the Monterey Bay. Which makes it exciting because it's something new. I don't care that it's been here for 25 years. The technology, the the education, the the population uh, is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And with the technology, it's incredible. Uh, if you go to the Mbari webpage, you know, some of the creatures that they're just finding now that have been there for millions of years. And now they get to pick them out and go, ooh, a new a new species of squid. You know, the stuff on the surface is what we see. What's cool is what's down below it. And and uh, one of these days, you know, one of these days, they they're sending men to the men to the the space, right? You got Elon Musk, you got Branson, and everybody wants to fly to space. Well, one of these days, one of the big names, maybe Elon Musk, who knows, is going to make you know deep sea diving a big deal, taking chartered subs down to the bottom to to go look around. Who knows? You know, who knows? It's the unknown. <clears throat> but all I know is that I love this stretch of ocean between Big Sur and between Año Nuevo. I consider that part of that ocean my home. I am fairly familiar with it. Some areas more than others. Um, and I, I just love to see what's out there tomorrow. Right. Because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow could be one of those spectacular days where. It could be, uh, you know, maybe a sperm whale comes in and says hi. Maybe, maybe a eight, a pod of eighteen uh, beaked whales pop up. Maybe three sea turtles show up. You never know. You never know. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> that is the beauty of it. I am a, a big cheerleader for whale watching in this area. I think it's the world's best. I, some people will fight me on that, but I've seen it. I don't think anyone's fighting you on that. And I've seen it. I've seen it. You know, I mean, where else in the world can you see an orca, a blue whale, a fin whale, a humpback whale, and a gray whale all on the same day? Crazy. Yeah, no, we saw, there was one day that we saw blue whales, humpbacks, rizzos, and beaked whales. And then yeah. um, Discovery Whale Watch later in the day found orcas. So, you just there you go. Know. And there yesterday you go. we had 
uh, group of orcas that led us to a group of humpbacks. So we were surrounded by a dozen humpbacks and five orcas and thousands of sea lions. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And and another thing too are the the captains and the crews of of all the whale watching boats. They know their stuff, man. All of them do, and, and they respect they respect that ocean. They respect the animals. They respect the science behind it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's cool. Even the old timers that are still around, including myself, I'll throw my I'll I'll throw myself into that book. You know, used to be if it swam, we're gonna kill it. You know, because that's what we were doing. And and now it's like it's pretty cool to see lunch feeding whales. You know, <laughs> it's pretty cool. And I don't want it to ever go away. I've got a little twelve year old girl here that absolutely loves it. And to see the thousands and thousands of people that travel here to go whale watching, <clears throat> it's it's just really cool. And it's really cool to see the ladies and the men getting together and 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 learning about these whales with, you know, happywhale.com. Is it happywhale.com, right? Yeah. Where they, they can identify these whales and it becomes a personal thing for, for some people. I, I know there's a couple groups around. They're into it. They're into it, and and I think they should be because, shit, I, I'll be honest with you, I wish I could be. You know, I, I would love to go to different trips and and watch these whales that are here, and when they migrate out to, like, Costa Rica or, or southern Mexico, I'd love to go down there and go, hey, I know that whale. You know, that would be pretty cool, and, and people do do that in this industry, and I think it's, I think it's pretty cool, man. I, I, I do. I'm excited to see what uh, the future brings. You know, there's some um, there's some regulations that we're staring at, not so much as far as the whales, but like emissions with our engines and and uh, what kind of fuels we're going to be using and Coast Guard this. And, you know, they got to get their part, too, because safety is number one. And um, if it comes down to putting solar panels and giving each customer an ore to get out there, then we'll paddle out there, you know. Mm. Um, <laughs> but uh I hope it doesn't come down to that. <laughs> it's not going to come down to that. <laughs> but it, it, you never know. You never know. That's true. But anyway, um, that's pretty much all the history I know of the Bay. I To see it from as a kid to where it's at today, um, in my personal opinion, it's uh, somebody's doing something right. You know, something, something for me to see those nets gone and to see that first whale, that was a big deal for me, man. Yeah. It was a big deal. And you know what else, too, that you see in the bay that you never used to see of are the jellyfish. Really? The jellyfish, the sunfish. We never used to see that shit here. Never, ever, ever. And now it's like, oh, my God, there's jellyfish everywhere. And then there's, you know, mola mola is like, I still say we can run sunfish trips. Yeah. You know, do a little hour bay cruises to go look at 800 pounds mola mola. You know, there's enough of them there. Hey, yeah. See, there you go. <laughs> safari yeah 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 nice. like you like you little safari captain girl oh my god yes yeah well so that's, that's pretty much how i see it erica amazing um one question i always ask people is what we can learn from the whales what we can learn from the whales You know, the humpback whale is a very compassionate animal. Mm-hmm. It is. It's very compassionate. Like yesterday, we saw the orcas chasing the sea lions. The 
the humpbacks weren't having it. No, they were protecting the sea lions. So that's what I learned from the humpback whale. For sure, be compassionate. Be compassionate. Stick Absolutely. up for the stick up for the little guy. For right. Sure. Well, and those humpbacks did. They were that. See, that's something that we get to see every day. For sure. You know, you got to that every day. That's pretty rare. You know, know, we don't get to see it every day, but we have a better opportunity of seeing it because we're out there every day. Oh, for sure. Yes. Well, amazing. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story and the story of the Bay um, and what you've learned from the humpbacks. And you guys should come join Joey and I on a trip at Sanctuary Cruises or Joey and Chase. Um, but yeah, so you can, if you want to come hang out with us, we work for sanctuary cruises. So go to our website. Um, but thank you everybody for listening and have a great week. Tune in next week. We're talking to, uh, Madison Bashford, a close friend of both Joey and mine, um, about her life story, uh, vulnerability and her experiences with marine science. Alrighty guys. Thank you. Thanks for being here, Joey. Yes. Thank you, everybody. All right. Bye.